This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, an organization devoted to producing and distributing Reformed theological content for a connected age. Online at reformedforum.org. This is East of Eden, a program devoted to the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards. Welcome to East of Eden, the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards. This is our seventh episode, and I am Nick Batzig. I'll be your host again for the show. Uh, We are glad that you are tuning in to the show with us, and I am online here with Jeffrey C. Waddington, who is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Jeff is the uh, teacher of the congregation at Calvary OPC in Ringo's, New Jersey. How are you doing, Jeff? Well, I'm doing great, enjoying the sunshine up here in the Philadelphia area. Yes, it is uh, sunny here. We've kind of had showers off and on, as I know a lot of the East Coast has. And and Dave Filson is our other guest, who is in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, Dave's actually on the phone today because a tree from one of their storms, uh, a tree has fallen and... uh, um, and their power has gone out, and they've lost internet access, but we're glad that we have Dave on uh, via cell phone. So, Dave, it's great to have you on the show today. Great to be here. Where there's a will and technology, there's a way. Yes, and for those <laughs> listeners who may not know who Dave is, Dave is the teacher of the congregation at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where Scott Sauls is the senior minister. Dave is also a Ph.D. student at Westminster Philly, as is Jeff, um, both of them doing um, work in the field of apologetics loosely and historical theology, I suppose, at the same time. So great to have both of you brothers on the show today. We are sitting down to uh, consider the sixth sermon of Jonathan Edwards that we consider as a group together. We have had um, the privilege of sitting down with Ken Minkema, who is the the executive director of the Jonathan Edwards Center there at Yale University for one of the episodes. But this is the sixth sermon that we are looking at. And the full title of this sermon, which is often shorthanded as Christian knowledge, is The Importance and Advantage of a Thorough Knowledge of Divine Truth. The Importance and Advantage of a Thorough Knowledge of Divine Truth. Dave, I wanted to ask you to to start us today by talking about the historical background, what we know about this sermon um, from the Yale volume or from any other sources. Yeah, this time uh, in Edward's life, of course, he uh, is entrenched there at Northampton. Uh, The original revival fires in Northampton have have started and the fuse is about to be lit for the broader uh, awakening, the first great awakening. Uh, we mentioned that last week when we were dealing with the excellency of Christ and and its relation, say, to the justification series, which is part of what helped spark that, that fuse. Uh, by the time Edwards preaches the Christian Knowledge Sermon, he has preached a couple of very significant uh, series, uh, Charity and Its Fruits and History of the Work of Redemption, both of which are revival-oriented, uh, cherrying its fruits, obviously quite experiential history of the work of redemption, which he later intended to become, uh, later intended to become, uh, you know, a, a treatise that he was sort of massaged that out into a, uh, a, a biblical theological treatise. That series of sermons has been preached. This particular sermon, in Edwards' mind, is also related to the goings-on of revival, particularly. Uh, with regard to as revival happens and as people are becoming experientially awakened, he does not want them to lose sight of the necessity of being grounded in divinity. And I think when Edwards, as you read this sermon, it's clear that Edwards is not simply thinking of the basics of divinity. He wants um, believers who are experiencing revival to be well-grounded and deeply rooted uh, in, the, in, in the things of the Lord. And so... Again, another sermon that is on the cusp of the First Great Awakening. And um, the sermon is written off of the text of Hebrews 5.12 that loosely says, at this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone again to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have need of milk and not solid food, for solid food belongs to those who are full age, um, who uh, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And... um, as Edwards 
opens this sermon, he does something I am great, greatly appreciative of because this verse actually is often taken out of context, used uh, sort of just um, loosely to talk about people needing to read their Bibles more, which Edwards is obviously going to do in the sermon. But um, setting it in its context, and, and Edwards shows that that context is really the, the writer of Hebrews teaching about Melchizedek. He actually says mm-hmm. in the intro, it appears by the manner in which the apostle introduces this complaint or reproof. The occasion of his introducing it is this. In the next verse, but one preceding, he mentions Christ being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, where the writer says that Jesus was called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He says this Melchizedek, being in the Old Testament, which was uh, the oracles of God, held forth as an eminent type of Christ. And the account we there have of Melchizedek containing many gospel mysteries. These the apostle was willing to point out to the Christian Hebrews, but he apprehended that through their weakness in knowledge and little acquaintance in mysteries of that nature, they would not understand him. Um, and he'll go on and talk a little more about that. And I, I find that particularly interesting because of my love, and I know you guys love uh, typology. The writer of Hebrews loved typology and is essentially mm. rebuking Christians for not getting Christological typology. That is... That was enormously formative for me as a young Christian reading Hebrews, which, I mean, I think is arguably the book I've benefited from the most in the scriptures, um, in my understanding of of how the scriptures center on Jesus. And and the writer is essentially saying what happens in Genesis 14 is supposed to take you deeper into your knowledge of who Jesus is and how he benefits you in your Christian life, but that the Hebrew Christians were not at a place he perceived to go deeper into the mysteries, the gospel mysteries bound up in the typological nature of who Melchizedek was. Um, I think that's fascinating. Now, it's, we had talked about this, uh, Nick, before we began recording, that Edwards himself doesn't uh, develop the, the typological or redemptive historical uh, elements in this sermon. This this is the probably the first sermon that we're considering that is more of a systematic than than a redemptive historical uh, sermon. Uh, and one of the notice what he says in that second paragraph on page eighty three of volume twenty two of the Yale edition of of uh, Edwards' works. Uh, what the defect complained of is, viz, a want of such a proficiency in the knowledge of the doctrines and mysteries of religion as might have been expected of them. Mm-hmm. So what Edwards is saying is there's a lack of what should be present. Right, uh, right. Then he continues, the apostle complains of them that they had not made that progress in their acquaintance with the things of divinity or the things taught in the oracles of God which they ought to have made. And he means to reprove them, not merely for their deficiency in spiritual and experimental knowledge of divine things, but for their deficiency in a doctrinal acquaintance with the principles of religion and the truths of Christian divinity, as is evident by several things. So Edwards is going to talk in this sermon He's going to, to to build upon the distinction that anyone who's familiar with Edwards knows he has the distinction between speculative and spiritual understanding, and that will appear in this sermon. But what he's saying here is he's not talking primarily about a failure to to um, experience the knowledge. He's talking about a failure to develop the speculative knowledge foundation that ought to be there in the thinking and living of every Christian. Right. This, the, I said to my daughter this morning, and probably because I was thinking about our recording this episode, I said, I said to her, I said, you know that you ought to be reading good, solid Christian theological books. Right. And of course, she, she said, oh, like the one you're reading? I said, yeah, that would be a good idea. Uh, now, we need to be careful because we can't exp- everybody is not uh, going to want to read, read, you know, deep books, but we we do need to encourage our people, as Edwards is doing here, to if they need to start out in the shallow end of the pool, that is perfectly fine. 
but they are not to stay right. in the shallow end of the pool. They eventually have to wade their way to the deeper end of the pool. And I think that's what Edwards is trying to, to argue here based on Hebrews 5.12. Yeah, and I think the whole, and he'll make that point about books and the application, about reading, not just reading the scriptures fervently, but reading good books about the scriptures. Um, right. But that is the thread, if you could say there was a, a unifying thread through this sermon. It is a thread of calling the people of God to press on in their knowledge of the doctrines of Scripture. And yes, in an, a spiritual way, and yes, in an exper- experiential way, but not by bypassing knowledge in some mystical sense, intellect, but by having our minds so saturated with the truth. And I love at one point in this sermon, um, Edwards will actually make this statement. I thought this was one of my favorite statements in the whole sermon. However, diligently we apply ourselves, there is room enough to increase our knowledge in divine truth without coming to an end. And he'll actually argue that because the Bible is the word of the infinite God, there is an infinite amount of truth contained in it. So that we're never going to exhaust that and that we are to press on ourselves in that. Now, he divides this sermon in that, I guess, this, Dave, this is the Puritan plain style, right? Exactly. It's your, your typical uh, three-part uh, breakdown of the sermon. And as you know, there are different ways of, of going uh, or, or of, um, of categorizing those things. But typically you have the exposition at the beginning, then the doctrine, and then at the end, either use, improvement, or application. Here I believe he calls it exhortation. So it's that, that typical three-part breakdown. Uh, again, as is typical with uh, most Puritan sermons, the exposition at the beginning is pretty quick and to the point, and that's where he brings up uh, the Melchizedekian thing that you mentioned a second ago. Uh, but a, a relatively brief expositional section, the doctrinal section, is the, the longer section in this, uh, in this sermon. And, that, and that's, typically, that's typically the case. Doctrine and application are, are the longer sections, with doctrine maybe a little longer than application in most of these plain-style homiletical structures. I found this sermon to be, and and I was telling Jeff earlier, Dave, I did read this as a young Christian. I remembered as I went back to read it and remember finding it to be extremely um, influential. But when I went back to read it this time preparing for this show, I, I realized there's a simplicity about this sermon that almost you don't find in all of Edward's sermons. It's very simple. It's very logically concise. It progresses very very clearly and basically. Um, when he comes to the application at the end, it's just he just fires off a few very clear, succinct. It's almost, dare I say this, it's almost like a blog post. When he comes <laughs> to the applicatory section. Yeah, it really is in some ways like a sales pitch for being disciples. Uh, if you think about the Greek word for disciple, methetes, it means a learner. Edwards is calling his parishioners to be disciples, to be learners. And uh, as Jeff had said earlier, this is both experiential and speculative. And so Edwards wants his parishioners to go broad and deep into the things of God. And he goes so far as to list out what some of those things are. Uh, For instance, in section four, jumping ahead just a little bit, he speaks of things like God himself, the eternal three in one is the chief object of this science. And we can talk, I guess, in a little bit about theology as a science, kind of that Hodgian paradigm. Uh, and next, Jesus Christ is God, man, and mediator, and the glorious work of redemption. And so you have right there three things that lie at the very heart of Edward's theological program, the Trinity, uh, Christology, and the person and work of Christ, specifically Christ as mediator, which appears so often in Edward's uh, preaching and his uh, theology, and then the biblical outworking of redemption, uh, and then he mentions other things as well, you know, uh, the idea of, of heaven and our eternal inheritance and uh, the things that are promised to us in the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men, our duty to God, etc. Uh, in other places in justification. So he's, he's speaking of specific doctrines that we are to marinate in uh, as we approach Christian study and gaining Christian knowledge. But I love the way he describes it all as a great treasure. He says, if there were a great treasure of gold and pearls accidentally found and opened with such circumstances that all might have as much as they could gather, would not everyone think it worth his while to make a business of gathering while it should last? And then he goes on to say that's what divine knowledge is. It's a treasure 
that we need to gather up uh, while we can. And, and he'll speak later of, I think this is in the, uh, the exhortation section or the application section of what a great advantage we are now with all that we have available to us um, to, to dig into the scriptures and, and so forth. And of course, that was said then. Think of what he would say now uh, as far as what an advantage we have uh, here today of, of gaining theological and doctrinal knowledge. Yeah, that's great. It's interesting, too, right as he comes to introduce those points, uh, you've just gone over especially the fourth point in his doctrine, but um, he distinguishes, and he'll do this throughout the sermon at different places, between ministers and the people, or doesn't distinguish between them in one sense, um, where it's almost like he is anticipating the objection that, well, you know, God calls ministers. They're the ones that are supposed to really study this stuff. They're the ones that are supposed to know this stuff. You know, I hear here in the South a lot, well, you know, the preacher, he he knows that. And um, Edwards is saying, no, look at the context of the text. He's rebuking the church. He's rebuking lay people. He's rebuking every Christian that he's writing to for not going deeper. And yes, God does call teachers. And obviously he'll pick up on that and say, that's one of the chief advantages of the people of God learning and growing a knowledge of the divine things is the teachers God gives them. Um, and one of the chief you know, instruments or blessings that God gives them for that, gaining that knowledge, but that they ought to be going deeper. And I just think that is a word to our society. Um, if it was true in Edward's day, that he felt like his people needed to hear this, how, you know, and, and in the days of the apostles, how much, you know, it is today um, for, and you hear those, you hear the objections, you know, constantly. I hear people say, well, we don't want to get too caught up with, you know, too much headiness. And I mean, I can't, I could never count how many times I've heard Christians dismiss um, their their need to grow and to learn. I even heard one guy recently say, "You know, I don't I don't need to be reading all this stuff because you know it's not about winning arguments." Well, yeah, it's not about <laughs> winning arguments. It's about knowing God and being the most fruitful Christian we can be. And that's really Edwards' overarching concern um, in these in these um, doctrinal sections. He uses that sensory language, you know, to entice us and excite us toward that end, Nick. You know, he speaks of, of tasting uh, the sweetness of divine things. And if folks could get some inclination, some, you know, some sense of desire for the sweetness of these things, that whole process would be uh, easier, wouldn't it? You know, and, and, I, and I've heard people say too, you know, it's not about winning arguments, and that's true. I think, at least in a primary sense, but in another sense, you know, Second Corinthians ten, we do demolish strongholds and right. arguments and every high thing set right. against the knowledge of God. Um, and so, if if believers could appreciate, there is a certain appropriateness. For winning arguments. Amen. Mm. For the glory of God, right? For the truth of the gospel. Now, Jeff, uh, section one really would probably be pertinent to you and your doctorate, um, specifically dealing with Edwards' apologetics and the role of scripture. What What are your thoughts with regard to this sermon, the importance of this sermon? Um, especially well, I, I, can, I can say this. Well, first of all, we haven't actually, we've stated, we've said what the, the, the gist of the sermon is, but the, the doctrine is this. Every Christian should make a business of endeavoring to grow in knowledge in divinity. That's the doctrine that he will put forward in the sermon. And it's in the doctrinal section is in four parts. What divinity is, what kind of knowledge in divinity is intended in the doctrine, why knowledge in divinity is necessary, and of course what David has already uh, done a fine job explaining Part four, why all Christians should make a business of, of endeavoring to grow in this knowledge. Uh, the divinity, uh, he, gets, he, he talks here in the first section, I shall very briefly show what divinity is. And he points out that, that it's, uh, it's useful to, do, to learn all sorts of things, right? Uh, he's not going to argue that, that learning history, philosophy, natural science, uh, farming, uh, economics, these kinds of things, uh, politics, these have value. But knowing God, being uh, and not only knowing God and knowing theology, 
but of course, of it, loving it as well, tasting it and knowing its sweetness, not secondhand, but firsthand, is going to be uh, the thing that surpasses all other kinds of knowledge. Because remember, this is why we were created. Now, this, sir, to answer your question that you asked uh, before I get you know, launch this rocket, I guess. Uh, this, is, this is a sermon that figures heavily uh, in my dissertation, as you might expect. No surprise there, right? Uh, especially in the chapter on uh, man's knowledge of God. Uh, this will be a sermon that I cite uh, quite frequently. Uh, listen to what he says uh, when he talks about uh, theology as a science or divinity. When he talks about divinity, that's the old word for, for theology. Uh, but there is one science or one certain kind of knowledge and doctrine, which is above all the rest, as it is concerning God and the great business of religion. This is divinity, which is not learned as other sciences merely by the improvement of man's natural reason, but is taught by God himself in a certain book that he hath given for that end, full of instruction. Uh, The other sciences, the other disciplines, learning disciplines, uh, are disciplines that, um, for the most part, uh, rely upon human reasoning, although I don't think Edwards is denying natural revelation or general revelation. But merely upon human reason. Right, correct. He's he's saying that divinity requires special revelation, basically what he's saying here. Right. Uh, Any thoughts on that? Well, no, that's a very interesting point. I've never, I don't know that I've really thought about the fact that both um, divinity as a science and all other sciences re- require reason, but but divinity requires more than just reason. Well, he's he's not, of course, going to deny, deny that Christian Christian theology requires reason, but right, it, right. It, it's the fact that it's not dependent solely right, on right. reason. This this was a this is a discussion that. Uh, uh, predates old Princeton. I know that David already mentioned the you know Charles Hodge's discussion of theology as a science and his systematic theology, but the discussion of theology as a science goes back to the Middle Ages and of course figured uh, prominently in post-Reformation uh, theology as well. And there was the discussion: Is theology a science? Uh, if so, what kind of a science is it? Uh, I believe uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, held that it was a subalternate science right, right. Mm-hmm. for, for the very that. reason that Edwards gives here, that on the mere use of human reason, and, and what Edwards, and I think uh, Thomas and he would agree on this point, uh, divinity requires that God give a special revelation. Right. Yeah, I, and I think that's why it's important, you know, because I was looking at that and... It frankly resonating obviously with it. I, I think it's important. A couple of qualifications here. He says, "But Christian divinity, properly so called, is not evident by the light of nature. It depends on revelation." Then he goes on to say, "You know, such are our circumstances now in our fallen state that nothing which it is needful for us to know concerning God is manifest by the light of nature." In the manner in which it is necessary for us to know it. So I don't think he's saying that you can know nothing of God. Right. Nature. I mean, obviously, Psalm 104, Romans 1, etc. Right, right. But I think it's, it's that qualification there in the manner in which it is necessary for us to know it. So then what is the manner in which it is necessary for us to know it? Well, obviously, salvifically, because he goes on to say, for the knowledge of no truth and divinity is of significance to us any otherwise than as it some way or other belongs to the gospel scheme right. or as it relates to a mediator. And I, I just, I love that. Right. Yeah, he sums it up. Well the, the light of nature teaches no truth as it is in Jesus. And that's, you know, men would not attain to the truth of the knowledge of God in Christ except through the scriptures. And it's very clear. I mean, this is, this is um, just that very clear, simple, straightforward you know, distinguishing between the role of special and general revelation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. On page 87, uh, Edwards will introduce the distinction that I've already noted uh, between, uh, say, uh, speculative 
and practical or what he calls natural and spiritual. And that is the notion that, that uh, there is a, a sense in which a person can have knowledge that is purely speculative or natural uh, that doesn't move the will. In other words, doesn't give rise to uh, uh, affections. Uh, but then there is uh, knowledge that does give rise to affection that uh, that attracts the will, mm-hmm. uh, what Edwards will refer to as practical or spiritual. But note the relationship. The one re- requires the other. In other words, you can have speculative understanding or knowledge uh, without spiritual understanding or knowledge. But you cannot have spiritual knowledge without the speculative. Yeah, that's great. Right. It, that's great. That's, that, that's a key element in understanding Edwards. It's a key element in understanding this sermon. Because remember, he's, he's spurring on, he's encouraging, he's attempting to attract his congregation to the idea that they ought to be about uh, learning more. Being disciples in the truest sense of the term, right, and and that requires learning things, getting getting concepts, facts, ideas in their minds. Now, not to stop there, right? It's not to stop there, right? But Edwards clearly will not allow the notion that you could have spiritual knowledge or understanding that is vacuous, that is empty, right. Yeah, I think it's important, uh, especially today, because I find in a lot of the circles where, you know, sp- uh, spiritual, experiential Christianity, piety is stressed, and obviously that needs to be stressed. The scriptures say that it's the truth that accords with godliness, and that's what Edward's saying. You know, you can have truth in the mind without godliness in the heart, but you can't have godliness in the heart without having truth in the mind. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I sometimes fear that some of the guys that are, and, and they're obviously a much smaller group than some of the things we see in broad evangelicalism and in other circles, but some of the guys that so focus on piety um, will warn against, hey, don't think just because you have a head full of truth, that's sufficient. Don't then go on to say, but you know what? You ought to get as much truth in your head as possible so you can have as much godliness as possible, which is what Edwards is saying. Oftentimes right. they're pitted against each other. Like, don't think you, just because you have a head full of truth, you have godliness in the heart. But then it's almost like, so pursue godliness in the heart, period, and not knowledge in the head. And Edwards is not doing that. Edwards is saying you need both of those. And the one ought to be leading to the other. Um, when we are exercising faith in Christ as we grow in our knowledge of the scriptures. I mean, if you think about it, the, uh, and this is key to understanding Edwards as well and his broader theological uh, way of thinking, uh, the, you cannot be drawn to, attracted to what you do not know. Right. Right? And that's why it's why. Um, but let's think about preaching, because he talks about uh, this is key to understanding the ordinary means of grace, right? Mm-hmm. This is key to understanding how means of grace work. Means of grace work because they convey truth to the mind that will be used by the Holy Spirit to affect the whole person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not possible for the whole person to be affected without first or at the same time, being impacted by truth. You can't do an end run around the truth element to get to so-called, because you, you're, you're, you, have, you have a concern for heart religion. Right. Uh, if anybody had a concern for heart religion, it was Jonathan Edwards. Exactly, right? exactly. But, but in terms of anthropology, that is our understanding of human nature, uh, the the mind and the heart are actually in the Bible the same thing. You know that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We we tend to have the head heart distinction. That's not biblical, right. right? And you know, Jeff, I think this also touches on a discussion we've had a lot over the years about the indicative and the imperative, and some of the more Puritan type. Um, I don't even know if that's fair to put it that way, but some of the more old school reform guys. 
um, we'll say things like the powers in the application. But what Hebrews is saying is the powers in the scriptures and understanding right. the scriptures and the powers in the gospel. And yes, the application pinpoints things to our lives from the truth of the scriptures. But um, I've even heard, I've even heard um, theologians I respect dismiss the Puritans for not doing more exposition, saying, well, the people knew the exposition, they needed the application. But Edwards is not saying that here. Edwards is saying we need a deep, profound, expository knowledge of the truth of God revealed in the scriptures for a life of godliness. Yeah, I think, I think Edwards is saying that that deep, profound knowledge of Scripture and doctrine, properly understood, really lies at the animating center of application. Right, right. right. You know, that, that is, in many respects, the animating principle of good application, of obedience, of godliness, etc., is, uh, is the knowledge, you know, of the Christ with whom we are in union the Trinity that has saved us, et cetera, that animates our application, that animates um, our godliness. And uh, I'm jumping ahead a bit, so I'm sorry to do this, and we can always come back, but in the applicatory section, he'll actually say, uh, essentially, don't be content with the knowledge of the catechism you were taught as a child. And I can't help but think he has a specific group in mind of those who had, you know, a strong Christian upbringing, who were taught the precious doctrines of the Christian faith and the Reformed tradition in the catechism, most likely the shorter catechism there. Yes, um, it would be. And, um, and he sees a concern that they could rest content with that, which, you know, man, I would praise God if all, all the people I'm called to shepherd knew the shorter catechism well. But, <laughs> you know, but even that, there's a danger for people who... And I've read this in Edwards elsewhere where he'll talk about the danger of those who were brought up in Christian homes um, almost uh, have a greater propensity to complacency, um, to not really experientially understand the love of God as easily sometimes, so that you really see his pastor's heart in dealing with different groups and how they may come, you know, and come at this sermon in particular, but really pressing, pressing people on to a deep knowledge of the doctrines of divinity in the scripture. Can I, I want to say this too, because I often will talk about the Westminster divines to, to uh, our congregation. I've kind of slipped. I used to not just say the divines all the time because for the very reason that I had a woman come up to me the other day, she said, you, you, you keep using the word divines. What do we mean by that? And, you know, I could see how that could be misunderstood as, um, us saying these men were heavenly, <laughs> but we're saying they were men who knew divinity well. Right. Theologians. They were theologians. The theologians. They, they were divinity. divines. Right, which is what Edwards is calling all Christians to be, to be divines. Yeah, you know, yeah. And one of the things, too, as far as um, him mentioning not being content with what you've learned of the catechism, in the Yale edition on page 80, a little historical contextual tidbit here, uh, one of the audiences, at least one of the audiences he has in view, I think, with that warning not to be content with what you've learned from childhood, is young people. Um, there is a letter to Thomas Prince uh, on December 12th, 1743, just you know, a few years after uh, he preaches this sermon, where he speaks of seeing a visible alteration, especially among young people. Now, you know, if you know anything of the story of Edwards, you've read his sermons, you've read the life of Edwards, you know that he was, he was often concerned for the youth in his congregation. And so perhaps what he's saying there is to these teens and, and preteens, don't simply be content with what you learned as a child. Uh, I'm seeing an alteration happen. I'm, I'm seeing a neglect of divine things. Press on beyond that as, as youth into the deep things of God. Yeah, that's really, I was struck with that too when I read this. I, I thought about our own um, teenagers and, you know, children in the congregation. And some of them are growing in a desire to um, search out the deeper things of God in the scriptures. But that that's, that's important for us as pastors to take up those same concerns as Edwards expresses in this sermon. I mean, it is, it is rich for pastoral value for men like us in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, there's a sense in which uh, 
I'm speaking for myself. Uh, I can't imagine being a Christian and not desiring to hunger and thirst for more knowledge of God and the things of God. Mm, mm. Uh, I just can't. Uh, I can't understand or relate to someone who might think that the Christian life is all about skateboarding to heaven without any uh, desire to bring every thought captive to Christ. Right. right. So there's a sense in which reading the sermon is kind of, for me, is is, uh, preaching to the choir, but there may be many folk who that's not the case. Well, and it's interesting what Dave said earlier about Edward's use of um, verbiage, tasted, that, you know, when a, when a person has tasted um, that the Lord is gracious in the words of Peter, you know, um, we, want, we want to be feeding on the pure milk and the meat of the word. We want to be tasting more and hearing our shepherd's voice and having our faith strengthened that all, often waxes and wanes. And um, the word of God is what does that. I love how Edwards in this sermon points to a verse out of Psalm 119 talking about David. I don't know if you all caught that, but um, when he contrasts um, different uh, different forms of knowledge of things, he basically David. Um, I'm not going to be able to find this. Hold on, let me see if I can. Where is it? Yeah, Psalm 119:96. Edwards appeals. Uh, to to David's saying, I have seen an end to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad, that it's impossible that we could ever exhaust the knowledge of God, and it's impossible that we could ever come to a place where we could be content in the sense of, well, I know enough. Um, I remember Machen somewhere, and I've looked for this quote, Jeff, maybe you'll be able to help me find this one day, but I thought it was in What is Faith? And Machen says, you know, many people ask the question, what's the least I need to know right. to get to heaven? And Machen basically says, listen, you're asking the entirely wrong question. You should be asking, how much can I know of God to know him and enjoy him? Which is essentially what Edwards is saying. Right. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what drives a per- person to uh, ask that kind of question. It's almost, it's not the, maybe not the same as, but almost close to saying, how much sin can I get away with and not lose my salvation? Yeah, yeah. we had a, a story here in the news uh, last year uh, of, a, of a church that you know, shall remain nameless, but one of the um, themes in the, in the minister's work there, in the pastor's ministry there, uh, was teaching his congregation What's the least you have to believe in order to be a Christian? Now, this wow. was not any kind of emphasis on the Apostles' Creed or the fundamentals of the faith or any of those sorts of things, or these things that Edwards has mentioned in his sermon, but a very reductionistic, very liberal and reductionistic approach to the Christian faith that ultimately neutered it and gutted it of any biblical content, yet you're still able to consider yourself a Christian. And and I think Edwards antidote to that is not just saying, here are the things you've got to study, the Trinity and the person of Christ, etc. He says, these are the things that are sweet. You know, mm-hmm. getting back to what you said a second ago, Nick, they, mm-hmm. these things are sweet. Taste and see the Lord is good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Edwards has been profoundly uh, impacting on me and my preaching and teaching over the years. From the standpoint, maybe we could do an episode on this at some point on, you know, the language of sense perception. Obviously, this was a key philosophical, homiletical, theological construct for Edwards, but the language of of sense perception is replete in Edwards' writings, and often it has to do with things like beauty and excellency, but also sweetness and tasting and, you know, Jesus being the cream of all our pleasures, etc. And this past Sunday, I preached on Romans 8, uh, 15 to 18 very familiar passage to a lot of folks, but I began the sermon saying, you know, the words before us are like honey on a loveless biscuit. Now, down the road from where I'm sitting right now, there's uh, a place called Loveless Cafe. It's a world-famous place where you can get fried chicken and fried okra and basically fried everything. In fact, I had breakfast there this morning and had extra crispy bacon and cheese grits. It's really, really good. 
But people come from all over to come to Nashville to eat at Loveless Cafe, and they have these incredible biscuits there. And so I said to the congregation, I said, the words before us, and these are some deep words in Romans 8, right, um, that are like honey on a loveless biscuit, heavy enough to satisfy you, yet make you want another one, uh, sweet enough that it's worth getting sticky with. That kind of <laughs> language here, everybody knows what honey on a loveless biscuit how sweet that is, how good that is. That's sort of an Edwardsian uh, device to say deep doctrine, uh, you know, doctrine that is not simplistic, can be very sweet and very desirable, heavy, to be sure, heavy enough to fill you up, yet still leave you wanting more. Yeah, that's really, really good. And, And Dave, you mentioned earlier when you were going through the fourth section of doctrine that, um, Edwards really outlines what those things are specifically in the Word of God, you know, the things of God, the things of the Trinity, the things of the Father, the things of the Son as mediator, the things of the Spirit as the one who applies, and uh, eternal punishment, eternal life, all of those things. You know, I think with all this discussion about what things are of first importance, second importance, you know, open-handed, closed-handed, we hear all these phraseologies being used, and I use them. Um, Edwards really does in the sermon give a grid for those things we would say that are of first importance, primary importance, the things that matter the most, even though he'll go on to say everything that God has taught us in his word is important and none of it's needless speculation or trivial. Um, but I thought that was interesting that they are on page 92 and 93 of the Yale volume. Um, he really gives, uh, th- those things that we ought to be concerning ourselves most with as we search the scriptures, the things that have an eternal significance for us, the things of, he'll say, redemption. He'll actually say, um, with respect to those doctrines of divinity, which relate to the work of the Spirit of God in the heart and the application of redemption and effectual calling, sanctification. He'll talk earlier about the doctrines which relate to the sinner's justification. So those things that really do relate to our relationship with God through Christ by the Spirit. Right, yeah, you... one of those basic things, what you might say, are things of first importance, uh, basic doctrines of Christian faith, all of those things are very close to the heart of his theological program. And I think it's, I think it's worth noting he begins with the triunity of God. And, you know, we make, a, we make much, I think, as well we should, of the Trinitarian nature of, say, Calvin's theology. We make much of the Trinitarian nature of John Owen's theology. We need to make much of the Trinitarian uh, program in, in Edwards' theology, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, that's Agreed. outstanding. You Agreed. do see a robust Trinitarianism in so many of his sermons. That's something I've been struck by, how he does that here, how he did it with um, the Most High, a prayer-hearing God, how he does it with so many sermons, focusing on the different roles of the economic trinity, the, the persons of the Godhead in the life of the Christian. Yeah, it's almost like he points at the Trinity, the three members of the Trinity— in an effort to point at the mediatorial work of Christ, and then he points at the mediatorial work of Christ in an effort to point at the Trinity. And when I, when I read, you know, well, Calvin, Owen, Edwards, moreover, when I read the Scripture, but, you know, when I read Edwards, it really does become clear that our salvation is a divine Trinitarian conspiracy. You know, we, we are <laughs> saved by the Trinity, if I, if I can say it that way. Yes. And when he points to the Trinity, you wind up seeing... Christ as mediator and vice versa. He points at Christ as mediator and you see how robustly Trinitarian he is. Right, right. It's also important to note that in this sermon, Edwards will talk about the the aspect of calling, I think we could say safely, in order to motivate Christians in their pursuit of the knowledge of God, the, the knowledge of the deep things of God in Christ. Um, he says right before the applicatory section, page 97 of the Yale edition, it becomes one who is called to be a soldier and to go to warfare to endeavor to excel in the art of war. It becomes one who is called to be a mariner and to spend his life sailing the oceans to endeavor to excel in the art of navigation. It becomes one who professes to be a physician and denotes himself to, devotes himself to that work to endeavor to excel in the knowledge of those things which pertain to the art of physic. So it becomes all such as pr- profess to be Christians and to devote themselves to the practice of Christianity to endeavor to excel in the knowledge of divinity. I have many, many, many times thought about the, the 
heartbreaking approach of gospel ministers, of men, of men who, you know, fill an office of an elder, um, but, but don't exemplify in any way anything that we're talking about, and how many thousands of people sit under ministries of men who, you know, entertain them, tell a lot of jokes, keep, keep it going, keep, you know, stroking the sheep with entertainment and with just trite rhetorical um, devices. And then I think about doctors and what Edward says here, if, if I was a doctor, I'd want to be the best doctor I could be. I mean, people's lives depend on that. Well, people's eternity depends on um, you know, a knowledgeable minister and on them being knowledgeable of the things of God in Scripture. So I found that to be a very motivating uh, section of the sermon. Yeah, you know, for me, Nick, I tell you where that, that comes home to roost. I'm the chairman of the Theological Examining Committee here for the Nashville Presbytery, and then I'm, I'm also on the, the PCA's Theological Examining Committee, and I've been doing this kind of thing for, for years. And what I've noticed over time, not, not among laity, um, but ministerial candidates is a very nonchalant attitude toward the acquisition of Christian knowledge. Um, and I remember years ago, one time a guy uh, came and he was going to be prepped for going through the exam process for licensure and ordination. And he came with, a, again, a very reductionistic sort of attitude, like, how much do I need to know to, to skate by this exam? What's the least I can study and get prepared for and skate by on this uh, on this exam? Right. And I remember saying to him something that I've said to a number of candidates. I said, "Look, man, you know, you you are about to become a minister of word and sacrament. You are about to be approved by our presbytery to mount the sacred desk, and people are going to be bringing their souls to you uh, for instruction, for ministry, for upbuilding." And they're not coming because of your entrepreneurial skills or your game show host smile. They need to know that you know the things of God. You know, I remember one time Sinclair Ferguson said of the Puritans, they were not just physicians of the soul. They were like pharmacists of the conscience as well. Mm. And they knew, like a druggist, where to, what shelf to go to to pick out just the right medicine, the right bottle of pills, the right bottle of medicine to apply to a believer's, to a believer's life. And so I said to this particular individual years ago, I say this virtually every time, this is the little, you know, mini sermon that any candidate who comes to the Nashville Presbytery uh, gets from me is, you know, if you had a loved one who was sick and they needed some kind of surgery, you would want to know that the surgeon, the physician you're taking them to, was a diligent student of anatomy, of biology, of chemistry, of of his particular um, craft, of his particular specialty in medicine. You wouldn't want to take your loved one who needed some kind of surgery or some kind of serious treatment to a doctor who said, hey, you know, I really didn't pay much attention in medical school. and I really don't care about these things. I don't read up on journals, but I'm really good with my bedside manner. Right. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> Look, I wouldn't even take my lawnmower, right, to a guy to have my lawnmower <laughs> exactly. repair. who said, you know, I really don't know much about lawnmower repair, and I don't care to know much about exactly. lawnmower repair, but let me give it a good lick here. Let me take a good <laughs> yeah. run at it. Yeah. I'm gentle, but I'm gentle with it. I'll be real gentle. Yeah, I'll be real, I'll be real <laughs> gentle with your lawnmower. How much more when people are entrusting, you know, when, when a man brings his family to church and he's entrusting his soul and the soul of his family to a minister for us to know the things of the Lord so that we can encourage them and build them up in them. Right. That's the end of my sermon. We can take up an offering that, and go home. I mean, it's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, Dave, this, <laughs> sorry about that. This is a this that is a good. burden this is a burden of my heart. Um, I I think I'm going to venture to say that 90 some percent of all professing Christians that I've met choose a church for every reason other than this church will feed my soul. This minister is a man of knowledge and wisdom and faithful to the scriptures and faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, and he's going to feed my soul and the souls of my family and. It's every other reason, programs, buildings, social activities, community, everything else. All those things have in their proper place, obviously. But when you read this sermon, there's no way you can read this and walk away and not think, you know, am I seeking the right thing as a Christian? 
in seeking out men who are going to faithfully feed my soul and my seeking for my soul to be fed by my own uh, knowledge of the scriptures. So it's outstanding that you say that. And it's really sad when we see that even in um, denominations that are supposed to be uh, theologically sound and, and we just, we don't want to become too theological. And, and in Edwards, I mean, Edwards argues persuasively that you can never know enough that your whole life you're going to be learning. Yeah, I think when he talks about in, in the application section there, um, you know, a point very dear to my heart where he says procure and diligently use other books, which may help you to grow in this knowledge. Now, obviously, he's talking to his parishioners about getting books about the Bible that can help them understand the Bible. Right. But, but for Edwards himself, you know, if you read his own library holdings, you know, in, in the L series, but, you know, you can go back. Yeah, I've done studies on this. Carl Truman has talked about this. You look at the library holdings of men like Owen and Baxter, et cetera, and you can see how serious they were about a broad field of studies, but about procuring the best uh, of of you know lexical and exegetical materials and theological materials to help them in their their preaching and teaching ministry. And I think that's a, a very important point. Uh, for lay people to think, look, right, for right. me just to spend a little bit of money and build a good library for my family's encouragement and benefit, and then for ministers to say, look, this is my tool chest, right? You know, I, I need to, you know, populate my workshop, as it were, with good materials, good books, good resources to help me study and and feed the flock. Yeah, you know, there's a, there was a, a journal of the Evangelical Theological Society article, um, Jet's article, June 2006, by a guy named Ted Rivera on this sermon uh, entitled Jonathan Edwards' Hermeneutic. And um, it's interesting because when you, when you look through this sermon, you find even his hermeneutical method, you know, in the application section. Now, you know, steering a little bit away from Get Good Books, which is obviously one of his major applications, but he actually says under the um, the first and second applications, basically, be assiduous, be, be diligent, and mm-hmm. eager in reading the Holy Scriptures. And then he says, content not yourself with only a cursory reading without regarding the sense. This is an ill way of reading to which... However, many accustom themselves all their days. When you read, I love this, he actually gives kind of hermeneutical principles. When you read, observe what you read. Observe how things come in. Take notice of the drift of the discourse, right? Context is king. Mm-hmm. Compare one scripture with another. For the scripture, by the harmony of the different parts of it, casts great light upon itself. We are expressly directed by Christ to search the scriptures, which evidently intends something more than a mere cursory reading. Use means to find out the meaning of the scripture. When When you have it explained in the preaching of the word, take notice of it. And if at any time a scripture that you did not understand be cleared up to your satisfaction, mark it, lay it up, if possible, remember it. I love that because it's a very, it's a very, uh, I mean, these are the basics of what we're taught in seminary, how to read the scripture in context. He's teaching the congregation that we should be teaching our congregations how to read the scriptures in context. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you know, it's, it may be, uh, we fail to do this because we fail in our own uh, personal, you know, devotions, uh, worship. Uh, we need to be better at wrestling with God's word, the details. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, isn't it amazing when you read Edwards and you see, gee, I didn't see that in the passage before. Mm-hmm. But once he points it out, you see it uh, and you become sensitized to um, not only the details of a given passage, but as we've already said, the interrelationship uh, of one part of the Bible to uh, the other. We've already mentioned in, in passing in previous episodes our appreciation for, uh, say, Greg Beale, mm-hmm. uh, who does this for us in a magnificent way, uh, most recently in his New Testament uh, biblical theology. That book's uh, cash money, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Edward, Edwards does this, uh, you know, 200 and some odd years ago. Right. Uh, it's amazing, and, and, and it's the fruit, okay, it's the fruit of a person who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That doesn't come about through emptying your mind. Right. Okay, it comes about by the study, the diligent study, and 
of God's Word and the application of it to one's life. Right. Uh, that's how it comes about. This is Edwards is creating, I think, a hunger for the development of a habit. And of course, anybody who's familiar with Edwards knows about habits and disposition. Right. We he wants to he want he's wanting to say, okay, in order for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, in order for there to be growth in grace, you must by God's direction by the Holy Spirit, you must make the effort to learn. Yeah. In other words, well, God doesn't bypass. He doesn't bypass uh, the, the mental effort of learning the Word and studying other books that help us to understand the Word better. Patient, isn't it? Now, yeah, now, I, as we, we have to wind down here in just a minute, so a few more observations about the applications that Edwards makes. And one that I am most interested in because I do a lot of theology and conversation with you guys, do it with uh, some of the brothers on Christ the Center. I do it with brothers from seminary that I talk with on a weekly basis. And and I, Jeff, I've told you this in the past. I feel like I've gotten a seminary education doing Christ the Center and all our our conversations on top of the seminary education that I got. And I love how Edward says, improve conversation with others to this end. How much might persons promote each other's knowledge and divine things if they would improve conversation as they might? If men that are ignorant were not ashamed to show their ignorance and were willing to learn of others, if mm. those that have knowledge would communicate it without pride and ostentation, right, and right. if all were more disposed to enter on such conversation as would be for their mutual edification and instruction. And I thought that was an awesome application that how how few Christians want to get together and talk about divine things. And note how Edwards uh, really observes the hindrances, as it were, to these things, that um, the pride of the one that doesn't know much is unwilling to admit that they don't know much, and the pride of the one that knows much is unwilling to teach one that doesn't without being ostentatious. And I thought that was just a really masterful application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Edwards lived that out, did he not? Not only in Northampton, but perhaps in a more pronounced and unique way when he went to Stockbridge and ministered to the Housatonic Indians. Yes. Uh, it's yeah, mo- Most great. people that's familiar great. with that story will remember that Edwards, his uh, preaching and teaching style, uh, the content didn't change, but the manner in which he conveyed that content uh was maybe simpler, uh, but he conveyed the same truth mm-hmm. uh, in a way that would be understandable. And so even as we're talking about these things, we're not here saying uh, that everybody needs to be an ivory tower theologian, uh, but that everybody ought to have a hunger and a desire to learn more about the God whom they have put their faith and trust in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, interestingly, when Edwards comes to end this sermon, to bring the sermon to an end, he gives three, what I would say, experiential, uh, even though obviously everything we've talked about has an experiential value to it, but three specifically experiential applications. One, grow in knowledge for the love of God, not for the sake of applause. And, and he appeals there to 1 Corinthians 8.1, a favorite verse of everybody that doesn't like studying the scriptures. <laughs> Knowledge puffs up. Mm-hmm. But he does say it does puff up, and you can study it. You can essentially make an idol of yourself and your own knowledge. Number two, seek God, because God is the one who gives wisdom. And the only way you're going to get a spiritual understanding of the scriptures is if you seek God. And three, finally, and this is his seventh application, and the third, I would say, experiential specific one, he says, practice according to what knowledge you have. I find those three to be very challenging to me personally. Sort of the uh, abuses, as it were, of only seeking intellectual attainment of the knowledge of the things of God in the scriptures and in good books. And then it's interesting, it's sort of a methodological observation here in that last point, you know, practice according to what knowledge you have. Then he says, this will be the way to know more. Yeah. Right. So part of his theological method is putting to practice what you know, which kind of in a, kind of a theological hermeneutical spiral kind of fashion results in what? knowing more you know you 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 learn 
what you learn. You love what you learn, and then you live what you learn. And as you live it, then you learn it and love it more, and you learn more, et cetera. It's just a neat, neat way to bring that plane in for a landing, I think. It's interesting, isn't it, that that dovetails very well with the 12th sign of, of, a, of true religious affections, which is practice, right? Exactly. I mean, this is just applying what he has said elsewhere about the, the Christian life in general is going to be true about the, the learning of the life of the Christian disciple. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, guys, this has been really great. That is a great place for us to end and um, a lot to meditate on. Um, I want to encourage all of our listeners to get a copy of this sermon, um, read it out of uh, the works of Edwards. If you have the two-volume set, uh, get a hold of the, um, the Yale edition of the sermon, volume 22. And you can find it online at WJE online at edwards.yale.edu. I want to encourage our listeners to visit Dave online at Christ prez.org where you can listen to a lot of his sermons he's just done uh two sermons in a series called jesus welcome sinners want to encourage you to listen to some of dave's preaching i know that you're going to be edified also you can find jeff and and some of the sermons he's preached at uh calvary-amwell.org you can read things that we're writing over at the reformforum.org on the various blogs that we write for and uh we are just grateful that you've tuned in for another episode of east of eden the biblical and systematic theology of jonathan edwards we hope that you'll tune in again and we hope that you will grow richly in your knowledge of god through the study of his scriptures <laughs>